Welcome to Spark. We're going to get started in our sermon. And this is an image I used a few weeks ago for a sermon entitled Comfort, Comfort My People. And I feel like it's still the same image that I need after this week. Um, Some friends have, have mentioned that they just haven't left the house since Tuesday evening. They've just stayed home. Um, They can't bring themselves to yet have a polite conversation. They're still grieving. Um, One of our students mentioned that um, she had never really experienced a deep death or or big loss in her life yet, um, and that this has been a grief for her, that she's feeling and going through that, that grief cycle. Um, Some people have just decided that they already were feeling marginalized by their church, and they're not sure that they have a church home anymore. They are worried about Thanksgiving and Christmas. They've lost friends already this week. They're worried about the safety of their family, their loved ones, their community. And all of this makes us oftentimes just want to uh, freak out. The amygdala starts to to lose its mind. Um, We start to lean into our fear and our despair. I start to do that. Um, I start to then vacillate back and forth between trying to choose hope and kindness and the way of Jesus and then just wanting to freak out and and shake um, and shake others. And so um, the title of our sermon, our brief few thoughts this afternoon is Shaken and Doubling Down. Because this feels not normal. For whatever we have thought was normal previously, it doesn't feel normal anymore. And so we want to give space for lament this evening and space for grief. Because for many of us, things are different now than they were the day before. And that feels very true. It feels like there are um, people who are being given permission to be nasty and difficult to one another. And as um, Wednesday morning and Wednesday afternoon and then Thursday started to unfold, um, I started getting messages from friends around the country who had received um, threats, literal death threats, um, things left on their cars because they happened to be um, an Episcopalian priest who happens to be gay. Um, Horrible things being we've seen on the news, things said in schools. And so it feels like... um, Everything has changed. And yet I'd also like to suggest that I'm not sure everything has changed. In some ways, maybe this is exactly the world we were living in prior to Tuesday. We just weren't hearing it. Some of this is sadly not surprising. I wish it was. The, the shift of the, the fear of what's changed now um, it is deep. I, I don't know if anyone here had this experience. Like Wednesday morning, I got up and thought, should we go to school? Should I still take my daughter to school? Are we supposed to pretend everything's normal? Because I feel like it's not normal. But I guess I'll go. So I go and I take my daughter to school and everyone's walking around shell-shocked. People look concerned. And then I go into the cafe and I see... Um, my friend who happens to be of Hispanic descent on the other side offering me my cafe and I look at him and I'm like, are you okay? And we start to cry. And all we've done is I've just gotten a latte. That's it. I do this every time I drop my daughter off at school. I drop her off and there's a lovely cafe and I can sit and I can work. 
and he's not okay. And then we start to talk, and there's Israelis, and there's Jews, and there's all sorts of ethnicities present, and we're all just not okay. We, we weren't okay. And at the Veterans Day parade in Petaluma, which is very close to where I grew up, I grew up in Santa Rosa, the Veterans Day parade on, on Friday, people showed up with a Confederate flag in Petaluma, in California, and they didn't have any concern or shame about doing that. It's in the Washington Post. And my reaction is fear. Because, and I know some of you might think this is crazy. I know I'm a blonde-haired, blue-eyed white girl who grew up in Northern California, but those folks scare me. And I duck when they drive by. And my African-American friends always laugh at me, like, why are you ducking? I'm like, I don't think they're good shots, right? Like, so, like, if we're all together, we're all in trouble. Like, we all need to duck. You all need, everyone get down. Uh, with the gun racks. And, the, and I'm not saying that everybody who, um, and I get that there's complications behind the issue, but that flag has come to symbolize something deeply concerning um, and, and violence in our community and uh, in our nation. And if you wave it proudly, then I fear that you aren't concerned about executing that violence against myself or people that I love. And I'm going to go to Thanksgiving. And I'm going to drive by Petaluma, and I'm, I'm not stopping. I'm driving fast. Because 18 years ago, my husband and I were married, and we went to the South we went to Nashville, Tennessee, and we'd just been married about a month or two, very short period of time. And we're walking down the street in downtown Nashville, and uh, somebody kept shouting at us, hey, Jackie Chan, what's up? Hey, Bruce Lee, what's going on? And a whole host of other things. Those were the kind things. And I turned and I looked at him. And I said, oh, no, you're geographically undesirable. We can't just go anywhere, can we? And I... Honestly, growing up in California had just never even thought about that. I hadn't thought, I know that's naive, but I just hadn't thought that marrying a Korean American gentleman who grew up in Napa with Caucasian parents was going to be unsafe in parts of our nation. I just hadn't thought about it. And then we adopted a a beautiful daughter from South Africa. Beautiful, dark skinned. She came here when she, I met her when she was 17, came when she was 19 years old. And when she arrived, we had just elected President Barack Obama. So she arrived into a nation as an immigrant, as a female, as an African, as someone dark skinned, um, as a survivor of difficult circumstances, and she arrived into a nation where at least the leadership of that nation looked a bit like her, had a connection to the continent that she was from, and we could have some hope and some pride. There was a, a hopeful example of, of the, the rhetoric and the campaign at that time. There was hope that we could kind of hold on to and point to, and I didn't worry for her physical safety here in the Bay Area. Now, of course, we would get looks. We would get the occasional comment, aren't you a multicultural family? Well, yes, we are. But now I'm afraid for her. I've been afraid for her. I've mentioned that we've had an incident of um, a really unfortunate police incident in our home with our daughter 
primarily because there was an accusation that people who were dark-skinned shouldn't be there in my home. Um, But now there's a new level of concern. And I'm wrestling with all of that. I'm wrestling with that for my friends who are Jewish. I'm wrestling with that for my friends who are Muslim. I'm wrestling with that for immigrants, for undocumented immigrants, for all of us together. I'm wrestling with the deep grief that it feels as though the church is complicit in this and that those of us who claim the name of Jesus have, um, have lost some of our, our moral compass and how we're loving one another. And I've heard some of you say, that's it. I, I'm not sure I can go to church anymore. I'm not sure Christianity is a home for me or my family. And I want to encourage you to hold tightly to the person of Jesus and his teachings because his teachings have hope for us in this moment. There is hope here. One of the things that's assisted me this week is that I want to acknowledge the fact that we have bought into the myth of progress. We uh, teach evolution and that we believe that we're constantly getting better, right? So we have seen this. We observe it. We talk about survival of the fittest and all of these things. And so we perceive that we are on some linear progression, that our better angels, that our best selves will come forward. But that is not true. N.T. Wright talks about this myth of progress quite a bit in his book, Surprised by Hope. That many of us have bought into a political system or a particular political party that is offering what we believe to be the best hope that is out there in either direction. And then when that doesn't get achieved, we feel as though we've gone backwards. So for many of us this week, as we started to grieve, we kept thinking, but wait a minute, persons of of the presidency that have, haven't been my candidate. They've been elected before. This isn't the first time I've not voted for the winner. Am I just feeling disappointed that I didn't um, get what I wanted? And we start to try to figure out what is really going on and try to unpack a lot of that, that grief um, and try to understand it. And, and here's just a few thoughts. Many of us thought, wow, that's it. A country that actually had to make it a law to say it's not legal for you to own another human being. A country that actually had to make it a law that said if you are not male, you still have the right to vote and own property. Has finally elected an African-American president and we have had eight years of this progress and we have seen good things. There's things that are difficult, but we've, we've gained this mountain. Surely we won't go back. And then those of us who sat there with, um, with champagne ready to pop, perhaps on Tuesday evening, thought, and this will be the next big mountain of progress that we'll climb. Now we're going to see that women who, yes, did not have the right to vote or own property now can actually uh, hold the highest office in our land. Whether we loved her or not, there was hope in that for many of us. Whether you agreed with everything about her position, whether you wished it had been some, a different female involved, you still saw some benefit to that myth of progress. 
So when these things didn't happen on Tuesday night for many of us, then we started to ask the question, oh, wait, maybe we aren't as far along as I thought. Maybe the, the hopes that have been held out by a political ideology aren't as solid ground. Maybe this is shifting underneath me in this moment. Because then the additional challenge was that not just that, that our candidate didn't win, if that's the case for any of us in this room, but that the person that did win was a person who said these things about women this month, like a couple weeks ago. She's not pretty enough for me to assault. <laughs> said these things about immigrants, about Mexicans, about Muslims. And we lost our minds then on Wednesday, didn't we? I feel like I did. That somehow my nation and the people that I love and care about picked policy over and and chose to ignore these statements about me, about my daughters, about my husband, about my friends, about my community. And I kept thinking, anyone else? Anyone I'll take anyone. And in full and fair disclosure, I am not a member of either party. I have only been a member of one political party my entire life, and that was Republican. I dismissed that membership about 12 years ago simply because of the rhetoric and because I was uh, disillusioned that the the party wasn't the same policies that I'd always liked. So, So I just decided not to join any party. And I'm not a huge fan of any particular candidate. What I am a fan of, as Rabbi Ari articulated earlier, is civility and respect. And we can disagree over policy and we can disagree over how things need to get done. But it is deeply wounding for me personally when half of the population of the United States of America just on gender alone, when somebody, it felt like when somebody said, yes, this person, it's okay, then it was all okay, that everything that person had said was okay. And as we're in those moments of grief, and as we're we're mourning the fact that we thought that we were progressing, whatever that means for some of us, we're also having to recognize that for others, those eight years were not a progression for them. They didn't feel like we were progressing. They felt like we were going backwards. They felt threatened by the policies that were there. And many in the church, and many leaders in the church... Franklin Graham and others this week said, thank you, God, for the events of Tuesday evening, because finally things are going to be set back to right. And we can't ignore that point of view, because this is what happens. We need to listen to all of that. We've clearly not paid attention. I have clearly not paid attention to the echo chambers that I'm part of. Now, as we talk about grief and as we try to unpack all of that and try to at least acknowledge why am I upset and where does that come from and why am I feeling activated and why are my past hurts becoming present traumas right now in this moment, we become a live wire. And then anybody who who even posts something different, not even directly to you on social media, you're like, that's it, unfriend, never talking to that person again. That's it. I'm never having this conversation. And we start to draw the lines even further which is exactly how we got here. And then in these moments of our not being grounded, being that live wire flipping around, then we electrocute one another. 
And we also get hurt again ourselves. So we need to start in the moments of trying to first articulate your grief. You need to figure out why it is you're sad, if you're sad. Maybe you're sad because you're losing friendships and relationships. Maybe you're sad because people are presuming that you're racist or misogynist because you hold to a different political affiliation. Maybe you've just decided to be silent this whole week because you're afraid of saying anything for fear of hurting people that you love. So find out what we're afraid of. Find out where the grief is. Find out what we need to do and then get grounded. And the first thing that we can do to get grounded is really recognize that God sees and hears your lament. You are not alone. We believe in a God that hears our cry. We believe in a God of rescue. We believe in a God of love for all. That his reign falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. That God cares deeply for Republican and Democrat. That God cares deeply for all ethnicities, all faiths. That God cares deeply and wants to bring about love and rescue and resurrection in all of our lives and in our world. God's heart beats for these things. God's heart beats for those who are suffering and those that are marginalized. God's heart beats for those that are last. So if you are feeling like that today, you should know God is with you and you can lament with him. You don't need to leave the church. There's space for your grief and lament here. There's space for your fear here. And we'll stand with you in that. So whether you're a member of the LGBTQ community who is worried about your, your marriage and your home coming up, whether you are a member of um, a family that has undocumented immigrants, whether you're married of a member of a faith um, in our nation that um, is being maligned or misunderstood, we're all here for you and God hears for you and God will hear that lament. I want to remind you that the character of God did not change on Tuesday. God is still here. We might be surprised by how some of his kids are behaving on both sides, but God's character has not changed. And we will remember the end of our story. Tuesday night when we came home from a very early election party, I thought it was going to go a little bit longer than it did. Um, Yeah, champagne was not opened. It sits there mocking mocking the homeowner. Um, My daughter said to me, I want to read the Jesus book. That's this one. So I pick it up and we're in Genesis right now. And she said, I want to read the end of the story. Sorry, what? No, no, the last part. I want to read the last part today, mommy. Okay. Well, the end of the story is really good. You guys, the end of the story is that love wins. The end of the story is that God is still on his throne, that there is peace and love and joy and all of that. Now, even as you hold on to that hope and you're like, yes, the character of God remains the same. Jesus is still who he is. I still have a family of faith where I can come and lament and grieve and they will listen. Even when you remember all of that, some of the stuff will still bubble up for us. Whether it's the unopened champagne bottle at your house or whatever it might be, sparkling cider, whatever it might be. So for me this week, here was the bubbling. My daughter's uh, very good close friend at preschool um, is from uh, South America. And 
they love each other. There's like screaming and joy and dancing and it's crazy and so cute and fun to watch them in ballet class, which is really the only time they see each other and because um, we're busy. And so they had all this stuff. And so we're sitting there and we're talking and the mom says to me, I don't think we're going to stay. Oh, my daughter's going to lose her buddy. They're not going to stay. They don't want to stay here with this. They don't feel safe. She was on the phone speaking Spanish this week, and she got some dirty looks. And for the first time, she thought, maybe it's not because I'm on the phone. Maybe they're not upset because I'm talking on my cell. They're upset because I'm speaking Spanish. Her husband's afraid for their safety. He, he won't let their Spanish-speaking nanny take the youngest one out by herself. They live here in Palo Alto. So in that moment, my grief bubbles back up, right? I feel like I'm doing better. Okay, love wins. My daughter read me the end of the story. I'm going to be okay. Let's go watch cute kids dance. It's going to be fine. What? Grief. But then the dancing took my mat away. And this is what I want us to do. I want to invite Jesus into the moments of our distress. There is a holy dance that is happening. God is not surprised by our lack of progress. We're all keenly aware of our sinful nature. God knows this. As Christians, this is the center corner point of our story. We need redemption. We need a savior. Our hatred towards one another, our xenophobia, all of this, this is not surprise God. Our fear, our concern, this does not surprise God. So invite Jesus into the moment of that distress. Wow, God, my mad is bubbling back up. Where is the dance? Where is your holy dance? Where is the light coming through in the cracks? And let Jesus start to sit with the mad. And let him absorb that for you. That's what the cross is all about. We're going to take a few moments to get ready for our meal together. And we are going to commune. I want to let you all know that all are welcome here at this table. For Christians, this symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. It is bread and grape juice and gluten-free right here in the middle. I know. She always asks for more of that special bread. Um, And we will commune with one another out of solidarity. This table, as followers of Jesus, we believe that the table is open. It's a radical welcome. Everyone is welcome at this table. And we at Spark Church are going to continue to radically welcome all, all to this table. So come and partake. Jesus, we hold tightly to who you are and to who you are for each one of us. Um, We ask right now, God, that you would call us to our better selves made in your image, that we would love you and love our neighbor and love our enemy. And God, we ask that as we commune and sup together this evening, that we would reach out, that we would listen, and that we would comfort one another and be sanctuary and refuge for each other. The body of Christ given for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Amen. 
Okay, final thoughts. We're doubling down at Spark Church. We feel like our values, the ones that we are centered and founded on, love of God, love of one another, rescue, reputation of God, reconciliation, resurrection, these things that we've been doing, they're really good. We're doubling down. This is, this is where we're finding some hope. And so we want you all, maybe we're the kind of, you're the kind of person that's like, well, I don't, I don't really want to invite people to church or it's difficult to have the conversations. And I just want to let you know, you know, this guy, I like, he was in the protest in New York. I'm not usually a sign guy, but geez, right? Like I'm not really usually the kind of person that invites people to church, but, uh, now it's time to invite someone along on the journey. Um, yes, everything did change in many ways on Tuesday, but one day can change everything. They can change again. Things can change again. There's obviously a lot of work to do. Let's double down on who Spark is. So before you leave today, we would love you all to take a Spark Values bookmark home. So you can remember who we are and why we live and do the things that we do. And I would like to um, thank our wonderful deacon. I'm just joking, Isaiah. (laughs) Isaiah and Amber for being in San Francisco today to pick up sparklers. For those of you who've been around Spark for a long time, you know that we're Spark. We like to be sparky. We do sparklers. And so um, today we would like to double down recommit to shining a light in the darkness, recommit to all of our values. So we're going to go out, have some amazing tacos with Roberto. Then we're going to come back together in just a few minutes, bring your tacos on in, sit down. Kurt is going to give us some wonderful insights into the Middle East refugee crisis. He's got some incredible stories he's going to tell, but he's also going to answer some questions for us as to his thoughts um, as an American who hasn't lived inside of America for 35 years, um, what he might want to do. So we'll go eat. Please make sure to take these on your way home. And if you wouldn't mind, before you go to bed tonight or tomorrow night, light your sparklers, tape it, take a little picture, put it on your own social media thing and be a light. Double down. This is it, you guys. I know you might despair, but I'm doubling down on love. The love of Jesus. We're, we're in this together. Amen? God bless you all.